All right, summer school, week number 7,000. Are you ready? Go church. Let's do this today. Hey, I'm excited to be here. My name is David. I serve on our executive team here at Go Church. And right now you're sitting at our South Metro Atlanta campus. Uh, but all over the, really all over the world, we've got people tuning in right now. We've got a, a group of people meeting inside the walls of City of Refuge at our West Side Atlanta campus. We got some of my favorite people on the planet up in Montgomery County, Maryland, tuning in from a movie theater in Germantown. We welcome you guys. And uh, people tuning in from their living rooms or the Airbnb. B&B on the beach, and I'm about to be there tomorrow, so we'll see y'all there, and uh, everyone tuning in online. It's just great to have a church family all over the place. So if you're in this room, can you make some noise for everyone outside of this room, and welcome your Go Church family. And then... We always, always, always want to welcome everyone tuning in that serves in our military, uh, anyone who serves as a first responder, anyone that is putting their life, their safety, and their comfort on the line to be able to protect our safety and comfort and lives deserves to be recognized as often as possible. And so if you know someone, if you are someone, or even if you don't, and you're just appreciative of someone that is serving, can we just say a huge thank you to this group of people? Come on, wherever you're watching from, we welcome you in. Really glad that you're here. All right, so you heard from Pastor JC. That's our lead pastor if you're new to Go Church. So come back next week. He's great. He always, you know, he's the best looking person to grace this stage, okay? So you're going to get to hear from him. He's a phenomenal communicator, a great leader. He'll be back here in the pulpit next week, but like he said, he'll also be here tomorrow night at our South Metro Atlanta campus, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, deeper nights, powerful speakers, uh, powerful moments where we are just going to go deeper in the word and we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to do whatever he wants to do. Up in Germantown, Maryland, Pastor Eric's going to speak all three nights there, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Make sure you show up for that. And then if you're at our West Side campus, Pastor Lisa's tuning in. You guys are only going to do Wednesday night, but she's got a powerful word and you're going to get to meet your brand new worship pastor there. So that's going to be really exciting. And then again, like he said, I just want to reiterate it. On the very last night and on Wednesday night, all campuses are going to be doing water baptism. That is, if you have recently dedicated or rededicated your life to Christ, baptism is your next step. Okay, so make sure you sign up to be baptized if you haven't already, and uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be really great. So, speaking of deeper nights, okay, speaking of deeper, we're going to keep our summer school series. We're learning what it means to be wise as we go through the book of Proverbs. And I'm going to tell you right now, we're going deep today. Okay, we are going to go really deep. Today's message is going to be really heady, really like kind of challenging us. And then it's going to be really heavy, some heavy topics that we're going into. And so what I want you to do is stay awake. Okay, literally, if you can just stay awake and stay engaged, you win. Okay, that's the game today. So even if you disengage later, just, just at least even stay in the room. Okay, even if you feel like walking out, just stay with me. Okay, because I promise uh, that if you can allow this word to sink in, it can really change everything. And so I'm going to be in uh, Proverbs chapter 16. And uh, before I go into the verse, I'd like to pray. You can pray for me and I'll pray for you as we dive into the word. Lord, you get all the glory today. It's all about you. It's not about a speaker. It's not about a singer. It's about what you want to do in this room. And so God, speak through me whatever you need to deliver to your people. And I pray that every single person in this room would have open ears to hear your word. 
only you get the praise today. Only you get the glory. Reveal yourself to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. I'm going to read all the passages that we're going to go through, the first nine verses of chapter 16, and then we'll pick it apart in a minute. Let's go here together. Verse 1. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works everything out to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. I told you, we're we going in today, all right? You just buckle up, don't leave, okay? Verse 5, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. And then the last verse, we're skipping to verse 9. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Okay, and so today, again, going deep. I need you to stay engaged with me. But in case that you slip into a deep sleep, first of all, you wouldn't be the first person that's ever done that while I preach. Okay, I can admit that. So if you're going to go into that, can you at least hear this? If you don't hear anything else, these nine verses have one central theme. And that is that God is sovereign over absolutely everything that happens. That means he has all authority. He has all power. Nothing could ever derail or destroy what he wants to do. He made it all and he is good all the time. He is sovereign. And if you're going to say amen any place, it should be right there. Church, say amen. Awesome. Listen, he's sovereign over everything. And in his sovereignty... He delivers to us things that are crucial to our existence. Things that we cannot live, even on this earth, but especially eternally, without these things. Okay, so these verses contain five things that God delivers to us. The first one we get from verse 1. To humans belong the plans of the heart. So we plan on some things we want to say. But from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. And what this is communicating to us is there is a big difference between the things you plan on saying versus the things that are actually proper to say, okay? And if you don't believe me, I want you to think about this illustration, then I'll tell you what God delivers. If you don't believe me, can you imagine if when you were going through work or your home or the grocery store or the gym and you had a Bluetooth speaker blasting all of your inner thoughts, okay? I want you just to think about how much trouble that that would land you in, okay? When you disagree with your wife and you stomach it the best that you can, but unfortunately for me, like, my face shows everything I'm thinking, so she always knows even when I'm, I'm trying to choke it back. She's like, no, what do you disagree? Right, she gets me every time, and I can't hide it well. But if you had that Bluetooth speaker blasting, every time someone said something you disagree with, every time you had that lustful thought in the gym, if those monologues that are going on in your head was blasted out, you would be very, very embarrassed. The things that your heart contrives to say, the things that my heart contrives to say, well, it's definitely not proper. So if we're ever going to say anything good, it's got to come from the Lord. And that's the first thing that God delivers. In his sovereignty, God delivers us proper answers. Things that are good to say, compassionate to say, 
actually truthful and wise. Any good thing we've ever said is because God gave it to us to say. Now, this should be something that we crave to do. Even though you and I don't do this perfectly, as believers, we are called to be ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. And you know what an ambassador is. Think of it even in political terms. An ambassador is someone that lives in a different culture than the one that they're representing. Okay, so if there's a French ambassador in America, they're supposed to live in America, but bringing the French culture, the French perspective, the French interests. And it's the same thing with you and I. As Christians, we are supposed to be ambassadors of heaven in a world that does not know God. And we should represent him in everything that we say. The things we, sh- we say, we should strive to say things the way that God would say them. With the compassion that God would deliver them, but also with the truth that God would deliver them. We should represent the ethics and the culture of heaven every single place that we go. And I want to point out just a few places That again, I'm never preaching down to you. I'm preaching to myself and you're pretty much just an audience listening to it, okay? So I'm not preaching down to you, but if the shoe fits, all right, come on somebody. So here's one way that I've seen people really miss it and give some improper answers. And I'm not a parent, okay? So I know, I know that every parent, when I say this, is going to be like, well, you just wait, okay? And can I tell you, that is the most obnoxious thing to hear like you tell someone they say how long you been married five years oh yeah just wait till six years then it all that's that's that annoys me but anyways all right here we go so as a parent I'm gonna call you out even though I don't have kids take it or leave it but when your kid says but mom why the improper answer is the one that you're gonna say most of the time and you already know it It's, you, I hear it, come on, say it together, those four words, because I said so. Okay, church, stop it, stop saying that, okay? You are squashing the curiosity of a child. You are trying to strong arm a kid, and it's a power play to get them to fear and revere you, when really, you could give them, if they could latch on to why, they'd probably stop the bad behavior to begin with. Okay, so don't just say what's wrong. Let them understand why it's wrong. The proper answers will come from the Lord. So let's say, okay, well, here's why. And then you walk them through that. If they can latch on to why, they might stop doing it to begin with. Okay, so that's just, that's free parenting advice from someone that doesn't have kids. I know you're going to forget, you're going to forget that as soon as you walk out the door and that's okay. Here's another one. And this one's a, a little more sensitive, a little more touchy. We give improper answers when we come across someone who is experiencing a season of grieving and mourning the loss of a loved one. I think we are very well-meaning in the things we're trying to say, but we say some really, well, improper things. Uh, Can I tell you just an example of one to just please stop saying this for a number of reasons? When you're talking to someone that's just lost a loved one, please stop saying Well, heaven needed another angel, okay? That's wrong on so many reasons. Number one, heaven doesn't need anything. God doesn't lack, okay? Number two, humans don't become angels, okay? So theologically, it doesn't line up. Humans don't become angels. And then number three, and this is really the biggest one, it's it's just insensitive to what people are going through. You don't have to, sometimes the most proper answer is just to say, I love you. I I don't know. I just love you. Like, I'm, I'm here. I mean, I'll do anything you need. I love you. 
I'm so sorry for your loss. Quit trying to have that one thing. It's not like we're going to have that one thing that makes them say, oh, yeah, okay, well, no big deal. Let's, get, let's go get some chicken. You know, like it's not going to work that way, okay? So let's look for the proper answer in that tone and be very careful the way that we weigh our words. And then another one, and i got to kind of hurry through this, but we, as Christians, we give some improper answers when we get into faith conversations with non-believers or with skeptics, new believers. The Bible tells us that we need to be ready to give an account for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And as your pastor, I just want to challenge you with this. I don't think a lot of you, us, are really ready to do that. I think that what we'll do, we get in that situation when they say, well, why do you believe in God? Well, because the Bible says so. Okay, but how do you know that the Bible's true? Well, because God says so. And then they're going to notice that circular reasoning, and they're going to be like, well, yeah, you don't even hear how ridiculous you sound. Okay, you need to be ready, and you've got to do some critical thinking, and you actually need to get in your word and be ready to say, let me tell you why I believe in Jesus. It's because there's an empty grave somewhere, and his body's not there, and anyone would have loved to discredit him, but they couldn't find his body, and a bunch of people that didn't know him in the first, I mean, you could go in and list out the reasons for your hope. You could share your testimony of how you've been transformed, so don't settle for cop-out answers. You've got to give a proper answer for the hope that you have in Jesus. Now, here's the good news. Remember, God is sovereign over everything. So let's take the pressure off because even if you're like me and you have delivered some very improper answers in the past, guess what? God is still sovereign. So you have not ruined his plan. Now, we need to try to transform ourselves to be better ambassadors, but his plan can't be ruined and derailed because you messed it up. His plan will still work out even if you mess it up. And even better news for someone that has been on the receiving end of some improper answers and some painful things that have been said to you. Guess what? God still has a plan for you. And no matter what someone has spoken to you or over you, it can't derail what God has spoken to you and over you. He still has a plan for you. So lean in and get your proper answers from him because he's good and he can redeem it all. And that's the hope of the sovereignty of God. Now, let's keep moving here. Verse 2. So God delivers proper answers. What else does he deliver? All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. It seems pure. You and I have a, a character flaw, okay? And we share this. And that character flaw is that we are just real bad at evaluating ourselves, okay? We're not good at it. Uh, let me give you an example. If you believe that you are a good driver, I want you to raise your hand right now. All up. Come on, everyone. Crowd participation. If you're a good driver, okay, okay. If you are sitting next to someone who is an absolute liar that just raised their hand, I want you to raise your hand, okay? The same amount of hands going up, that's exactly what I thought. They just exposed you. You are not a good driver because the people clutching to that little bar right next to the passenger seat beg to differ, okay? They beg to differ. And look, I've been living in Georgia for a couple of months now, and y'all some bad drivers down here. And look, everyone up in Maryland, you ain't getting off easy because you're bad drivers too. The only good driver in this room right now is me, okay? That's the only <laughs> Why are you laughing? All right. We're not good at evaluating ourselves. We don't see our motives very clearly. We have to be shown. 
And that's what God delivers to us. We can't see it on our own, so God will deliver us pure motives. Let me just kind of tease this out for a second. Do you realize how good you are at selling yourself on really bad ideas? Like, I want you to think about that. Like, you, you could have a career in sales if you were as good at selling to other people and reading their needs the way that you read your own. I mean, rarely do you deny yourself anything that you really, really, really want. And you can talk yourself into it. You know exactly what you want, and you can convince yourself that it is good. And listen, I'm not saying you're bad at judging, okay? I'm just saying you're bad at judging yourself. Because something else I know about you, because I know it about me, is you're really good at judging other people, okay? Oh, I'm about to go there. Okay, you just sit tight, all right? Pull up your pants, tighten your, don't leave, okay? But look, when other people sin, they're bad people, okay? I mean, they're just a bad person. They told a lie because they're liars. But, I mean, when I lie, look, it's a nuance. It's complicated, right? I mean, I, I've got reasons. I've got motives. They're just bad people. But uh, you, you judge yourself a whole lot more generously than you judge those other people, right? They're, it's simple. Black and white, they're evil. You're complicated, okay? So we got to realize this. We're bad at judging ourselves. And we're not only bad at judging the bad things that we do, even the good things we do, we do with impure motives. Even the good things we do. And to show that, because this passage said the Lord weighs our motives, so it seems pure to us, but God's going to weigh it, okay? So here's what I mean. This right here is a scale, and this is actually what they used thousands of years ago when they were bartering. They were measuring things out, and it brings perfect balance when each side is perfectly balanced, okay? And this is what we're supposed to be like. However, we have these things that we do, and I just, I didn't tell the first gathering this, but I just realized this. These are candy-coated almonds, okay? And you know what's interesting? And this will preach its own point here. I am severely allergic to almonds, okay? And I didn't even realize that when I was grabbing these. And so you know what's interesting, though, is I think I'm safe from them because it's coated with candy. And I think we do the same things to us, right? Something that's really toxic to us, we coat it with candy to make us think that we're safer, but we're really not. So that's just a little freebie. I didn't even plan on that one, but that one's good. Here's what we do. God says, you're supposed to be holy like I am holy. And listen, God is perfect. He is flawless. He has no impure motives at all. But we do. So what we do is we do a good deed and we think it's because we're good people. But really, we wanted to give the money because we want people to see how generous we, we, we really are. Like we are just, I'm a really good person. Or, or you give someone a really good compliment, but it's not because you actually want to boost their self-esteem. It's because you, and admit this, you do this. You're manipulating them. Okay? So if you can give them a couple of good compliments, they're going to be more likely to do what you say. Let me come for preachers, okay? And I'm going to preach this to myself. I have to do this every time I'm about to preach. We put together these messages, and we really hope, yeah, I hope it's a great message, but not because we want to see transformation. We just want people to think that we're good communicators and we're good preachers, and we want to be known for that. So what's happening here? It's getting off scale, and we can start to see, okay, even the good things that we do is weighing us down. And God is so much higher than our ways. And what we try to do is instead of looking at his ways compared to ours, 
what we start to do is we try to justify ourselves by looking at other people's mess, okay? Yeah, I got a few bad motives, but she's toxic, she's a gossip, he's selfish, okay? He's got pride, she's messed up, and you start to look at them and you say, look, all right, I'm not as good as God, but at least I'm not, I mean, look at all these people. And God is saying, hey, that's not what we're called to do. That's not what we're called to be. So when he sees and when we see how different the scales are compared to God versus us, what we have to do is get rid of those motives. And there's only one way that we can eliminate those toxic motives in our heart. And that's through the spiritual discipline of confession. You have to admit it. You have to admit, okay, you know what? I did just want recognition. I'm sorry, God, please forgive me. Lord, I wanted them to think that I was really benevolent and generous. God, I know that I can manipulate people at times. God, please forgive me of that. Lord, I'm calling out the toxic motives in my life. Lord, I'm calling out that everything I do isn't always for the best motives. And it starts to say, okay, God says, give them to me. Call out those pure motives. And it brings balance back to the scales. He starts weighing it out. So when you see how much more flawed you are compared to God, repent, call it out, call it out, because he will deliver you pure motives if you call it out, and that's when he gives us our righteousness. So let's keep moving here. Here we go. This is where things start to get a little deeper. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works everything to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster, and then skipping to verse 9, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Now, when you read verse 3, you're probably like me. You, you think you know what this is saying, but it's not saying what you think it's saying. What you think this means is, okay, well, when I commit to God, everything I pray for, I'll start to get. If I commit it to God, he'll give me what I want. That is not what this is teaching. What this is teaching is that if you commit yourself over to the Lord, he will start to not give you the things you planned for. He will start to give you new plans. He will give you his plans when you commit to the Lord. You thought your life was going to go this direction, but when you committed yourself to the Lord, he said, ah, I got a new plan for you. I thought I was going to live in Maryland till the day I die. And the Lord said, nope, I need you to do ministry in, the, in Coweta County, Georgia. He has a different plan than we do. He doesn't give us everything we ask for. He gives us new plans. And it's not just new plans. It's perfect plans that God delivers. A perfect plan is a plan that cannot fail no matter what. I don't contrive these perfect plans. Uh, everything I plan on seems to not happen that way, especially when I got married, okay, because I had a lot of plans for what I would do on all my days off, and what I thought my days off would consist of is nothing at all, <laughs> sitting on the couch just doing nothing, but my wife has other plans for me, okay. She's a hard worker, she has hobbies that require labor. <laughs> she likes to garden, and she likes to clean, and she likes to go on walks. And I had all these plans for just these blissful do-nothing days off, and then I got married, okay? So what we know about that, and it's a, I, make, I say it all in jest, but what we know is our plans don't always go the way that we wanted. But God has a better plan that never gets derailed, okay? It never gets derailed. 
And that leads to this question. Here's where we go deep, okay? Lock in right here. This is the question that I get all the time when I talk to new believers and skeptics. Okay, Pastor David, so if God has this plan, do we have free will or is everything determined? Do I actually have free will or is God just pulling the strings and he's making everything happen? And I want to tell you today, the answer to both of those questions is yes. Yes, you have free will. Everything that you choose to do is because you chose to do it. However, God is in complete control. Nothing you choose to do can derail what God has planned to happen. And the enemy loves to throw this false dichotomy at us because he thinks that his real goal is to get us to think that God fits in all of our little boxes And our boxes, a lot of times, are either or, okay? I either have free will or God has determined everything. But that's not true. And if you worship a God that fits in your little either or boxes, you're worshiping a false God because God transcends all of our boxes. He's bigger than all of them. You have 100% free will and God has everything 100% planned out. And everything you choose to do makes all of God's plans come to fruition, And the enemy doesn't want you to understand that. You have got to seek to learn and do some critical thinking on this Bible study, understanding the sovereignty of God. Because if you miss it on either one of these, you're either going to think it all depends on all of your decisions and you'll overestimate it and you're going to be paralyzed by fear. You're going to be so scared. Every time I talk to single people, they're 19, they're 20, they are freaking out about who they're going to marry, where they're going to go to college, huh, because what if I marry the wrong guy and then the girl that that guy was supposed to marry ends up marrying the wrong guy and then that guy was supposed to marry this girl and I just threw off the fabric of time because I made a mistake. Okay, stop. It's okay. The pressure's not on you. However, God does have a plan and he's got a perfect plan for you. Okay, so we have to understand both. You're not Pinocchio where God's just pulling the strings, okay, but you also have free will. Now, I'm getting some faces, okay? So I want to explain this to you with two biblical stories to show you how free will brings about God's plan. The first one comes to us from the Old Testament, and it's the story of Joseph. And if you didn't grow up in church, I really want you to go back and read those last few chapters of Genesis, because this story, you might resonate with this story. But basically, Joseph is this young man that's had these dreams about where God might take him, about him being a leader over a bunch of people, and it makes him really prideful. And he starts bragging, and he becomes that guy, right? That guy, the name dropper, right? That guy that's better than everyone, the well actually guy. Well actually, what you really, don't you hate those guys, right? Everyone hates those people. And so Joseph had that pride in his heart. So his brothers got fed up. They were going to kill them in the pit, but then they did the humane thing, and they just sold them into slavery instead. And then Joseph has one tragedy after another that ends up landing him all the way to a high position, the number two most powerful person in the whole world at that time, right next to Pharaoh. And because God gave him wisdom, he saved up food before this drought, and all the surrounding nations were able to survive a drought, and these nations didn't get wiped out. Because of Joseph. So, why do I tell you that very brief story? Because a couple of things. Number one, Joseph's brothers had free will. They had the free will to sell him into slavery. God did not make them do that. They freely chose to do that. 
However, what Joseph told them at the end of, his, of that whole story is you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You tried to destroy me, but all you did was bring about God's plan. So your free will ended up bringing about God's plan to begin with. And evil always has a way of defeating itself. God gives the enemy just enough rope to hang himself. He allows evil to envelop its own self. So the brothers will be held accountable for their free will. However, it brought about God's perfect plan. Now, I gotta give a little sidebar here because I wanna minister to someone that feels like they're in the pit right now. There are some of you in here today that you feel like, I am in a deep, dark pit. People have harmed me. I can't even fathom that God could possibly be loving or real because of the situation that I'm in right now. And you are in a faith crisis. Let me tell you two things about Joseph's story that are also true about your story. God is always loving. Now listen, if Joseph, when he was in that pit, crying out to God to deliver him, if Joseph would have been delivered from that pit, then he would have suffered from something far worse than a pit, his own pride. His own pride would have cost him his eternal life. It would have eaten him up day by day. But the humiliating and humbling process of going from a pit to a prison to slavery all the way up to a palace, that humility that he walked through killed the pride that was inside him. So if God would have delivered him from the pit, that would not have been the loving thing to do because then Joseph's pride would have destroyed him. And then on top of that, on a global scale, if God delivered Joseph from that pit, then all the surrounding nations would have starved, generations wiped out by famine. God always does the loving thing. God always does the just thing. He's sovereign over everything that's done by you and done to you. Nothing can destroy his plan. He's got a plan for you. And the only difference between you and Joseph is your story is still being written. So please do not give up on your faith. God has a plan and we can trust that because he's a good God. Thank you, Jesus. Another story, this one's from the New Testament, and I want to tell you this story to drive this point home. Judas, disciple of Jesus, witnessing Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle. And let me give a little sidebar here. Maybe you're a skeptic in here, and you say, you know what? I would believe in God if he would just do an undeniable miracle in front of me. Like, I'd be more likely to believe in him. Can I tell you something? No, you wouldn't. (laughs) No, you would not. Because Judas witnessed miracle after miracle after miracle. Maybe you say, well, I'd worship God if there was a world without any suffering or pain. Adam and Eve lived in that world, and they sinned too. Guess what? Something's broken on the inside of you. It ain't the conditions you're in. The brokenness lives in here. We create brokenness everywhere. Judas is watching Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle. And what did he decide to do? He freely chose, no one forced him to do this. He freely chose to betray Jesus the same way, there's a lot of parallels, that Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver to be betrayed. And Jesus went into a much deeper pit, a pit of forsakenness from God, a pit where on that cross he would be abandoned and face the penalty of a wicked person for all of us. He took that penalty. Listen, Judas was operating in his absolute 100% free will 
And all that he did was he ended up bringing about God's perfect plan to bring redemption to all of creation. What the enemy meant for evil through the free will of Judas, God leveraged it to bring about his perfect plan for the restoration of all creation. Can we just thank a sovereign God that no amount of wickedness could destroy? So listen, I would love to get into something a little more lighthearted. But look at this next verse right here. I want, I want a little bit of sympathy, okay? The Lord works everything out to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. All right, so now we got to talk about eternal punishment here. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Let's talk about hell. Let's talk about this. There are two ways to have the wrong perspective of hell. And you might fit into one of these categories, but don't, don't leave, okay? I want you to stay through to the end here. You might be in the category of the people that are, when they read verse 4, they seem really excited about it. They're like, yeah, get them. Get all those bad people, Lord. And I mean, and they love to talk about, how it's, they're almost like glad that it's there. And then there's another group of people. And you're in a place where when you read verses like this, you want to skip over those. Let's wish you would have skipped these verses today, Pastor David, because this isn't, this isn't sitting well with me. We need to talk about this. We've talked about God giving us the right answers, the right motives, and the right plans. But God does punish wickedness. And this is what he does. And this is the fourth thing God brings. I don't expect a lot of amens right here. But God does deliver punishment to the wicked. Now, listen to me. I'm going to go back to this verse. If you're excited about verse 4, then that means verse 5 is for you. Because the Lord detests all the proud of heart. If you believe that there is any created person that deserves eternal punishment more than you do, then you have pride in your heart. Then you don't get it. You don't get the gospel if you think that you deserve less punishment than anyone else. The same punishment that leads to slavery and genocide and injustice and racism and murder, that same wickedness lives in all of us. We have it in us. So get off of our high horses and understand this, that this would be us had it not been for Jesus. So the proud of heart... If you feel superior to anybody, then this verse is for you, okay? So God delivers punishment to the wicked. Now, let me talk to the people in the room. Maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're wrestling with it, and this right here is your problem with the Christian faith. How could God possibly be loving if hell exists? How could a loving God let this place happen? How could he punish something so severely why would a loving God do this? And I, I, I want to give you the answer to this. And in a short answer, it's I think that the only way God could be loving is if he punishes wickedness and injustice and sin and evil. Here's why. There's this Croatian theologian named Miroslav Volf. And I, I don't have time to do a whole history lesson with you. But go back and Google it later about what happened in Croatia and in the whole Yugoslavia region in the, the late 80s and 90s and really for the last couple hundred years, to be honest. The atrocities that were happening in that region, 
it would make you sick to your stomach to read about some of the things and the oppression and the violence that happened in these areas. And there's this Christian theologian that writes about eternal punishment, and he gives a really interesting perspective. And I want to break it down for us. This is what he says. Violence thrives today, and it's secretly nourished by the belief that God refuses to take the sword. Paul's right there. He's saying the reason violence thrives is because people believe that God's not going to punish them for their violence. It takes the quiet of a suburb for the birth of the thesis that human nonviolence is a result of a God who refuses to judge. In a scorched land, soaked in the blood of the innocent, that idea will invariably die like other pleasant captivities of the liberal mind. Here's what I want you to hear. If God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end of violence, that God would not be worthy of our worship. Can I be really real with you, church? This sentence right here, it takes the quiet of a suburb. It takes our peaceful little American bubble, our little suburbia, where we think the worst thing that happens is someone cussing us out in the street, and we think the worst thing that can happen is someone hurting, you know, our car, or maybe robbing us, or stay. I want you to just talk to a Marine that's been deployed to the Middle East, and ask them what they've seen. Ask them about the evil that they've witnessed. I want you to talk to a missionary in the 1040 window that has not heard the gospel where the thought of Jesus and uttering the name of Jesus is a death penalty and we see families being slaughtered and sold, sold into human trafficking, genocide occurring. It takes the quiet of a suburb to believe that a loving God does not punish wickedness because we haven't seen it. I, and I'm not trying to make light. Some of you may have, and our heart breaks for that. I, I, seriously, I'm not trying to minimize trauma. But most of us in our middle-class suburban neighborhoods, we just don't get it. What kind of evil is beyond the borders of a nation of America? If you only knew the pain that people had every single day. I'm just thinking of when we took our mission trip to Belize and I'm seeing kids walk around without shoes on, kids that are literally seeing things that are scaring them, giving them nightmares, hearing stories from my brother who served overseas, telling about the things that he's witnessed and had to go through. We just don't get it. The only way God could be loving is if he brings a final end to injustice and evil and wickedness. That is a God worthy of our worship. Equally, we have to recognize that that same wickedness that leads to those things, it lives in us. It lives in all of us. It lives in me, and I've got to kill it daily. It lives in you, and you've got to kill it daily. The same thing that makes you lie is the same thing that makes someone else abuse women. It's the same. Don't try to separate yourself by your good deeds because God knows your motives. We need a day of disaster for the wicked because we have to know. I have to know that God doesn't like this. What good father would watch evil being done to their child and not do something about it? 
But he does. He does. Oh, Jesus, help us. Listen to me. I, I, I got to keep going here. We need the day of disaster to take place. But be careful how bad you want that day. You better search your heart. Because maybe the reason God hasn't ended all the evil in the world is because he'd have to end you too. Because it lives in you. And it lives in me. We have to humble ourselves. We are in the most humanly impossible catch-22. We need wickedness to be punished, but we need a way out of it so that it doesn't kill us in the process. What are we to do about that? We can't do anything. Here's what can be done. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. And through fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. Now I'm reading from the NIV. That's the passage I love to teach from. But it's not the most accurate translation. The most accurate translation is the NASB, one of the most accurate. And really the best way to translate love and faithfulness is actually mercy and truth. The, the unfortunate thing about the human language is that love is a little too ambiguous. We, we have one word that just kind of covers all the bases. But mercy and truth is how sin is atoned for. Atone means paid for. The payment for our sin is through mercy and truth. Here's what we need. We need a God who rages against sin and evil. And we need the mercy to protect us from it. That is what we need. It's not mercy or truth. And that's why most people don't understand the sovereignty and the goodness of God is because we only like one or the other. We go to churches that preach hellfire and brimstone because we love truth, but miss me with all that love stuff. Don't get all that mushy stuff. And then on the flip side, we like to hear sermons about how good and nice Jesus is. And look, it's true. He is. But he hates evil. And he detests the proud. And he hates wickedness and injustice. We need not mercy or truth. We need mercy and truth to intersect and there's only one point in human history that that has taken place. And it was on the cross. What happened? God has to be a perfect judge. He's perfectly just. He's perfectly truthful. And he has to obliterate sin and wickedness and pride and deception. And he sent down his judgment, his whole entire wrath against the wickedness of humanity. He sent it down. But... He also sent us his mercy. And I love the posture of the cross. I love the posture of Jesus on the cross. Receiving the wrath of God for himself, but spreading out his arms to protect the rest of us from it. He shouldered the wrath of God against injustice so that you don't even have to experience it. Do you even know what it would be like? The answer is no. To be eternally separated from God? Jesus got one whiff of it in the Garden of Gethsemane. He got one whiff of it, and it made him panic to the point where his, blood, his sweat turned to blood because he got one whiff of what it was about to feel like to be separated from God. It wasn't that he was scared of a couple of whips and thorns and nails. It's because he knew the forsakenness was coming. And he would, we don't even understand the depths of despair that he faced on the cross but he did it to show his mercy. We need the cross. The cross, the sacrifice of Jesus is our only hope.
is our only hope for escape from the day of disaster for the wicked. So what does God deliver? Yeah, he gives us proper answers. He gives us pure motives. He gives us a perfect plan. He's sovereign over all that. He's sovereign over the punishment of the wicked. But he also delivers us payment for those who would repent. Your sin is already paid for if you would just repent and admit when you look at these scales, you're not a good person. And I'm not saying that because I'm better than you, but we are weighed down. And the longer we go without seeing this, without seeing how flawed we are, we will undermine how much he paid, how high the price was, how heavy it would be to carry the sins of the world. But he did it. And it demolished him on the cross. But it was to rescue us. It was because he loved us. This is the gospel. And I will say this. You're going to get tired of hearing me. Any chance I get to preach, I'm going to say this because you've got to let this sink in. God's sovereign. And this is his sovereign gospel. You are far more wicked than you ever dared believe. But you are far more loved than you ever dared hope. And you have to know both of those together. A hard truth and a powerful mercy is the only thing that can save your soul. If you don't think, and this is the problem with Americans. This is the problem with me and you. If you don't think you're all that bad, then of course you don't appreciate, of course you stand there with your hands in, the, in your pockets as we worship. Because you don't think you were forgiven of all that much. But if you knew how wicked you really were, if you saw it, and then you knew how loved you really were, and that's how some of you are today. Maybe it's not that you don't know how bad you are. Maybe it's all you can think about. And you're laden with guilt and shame. And you think God could never forgive you. God could never love me. I'm not worthy of it. Guess what? Nobody is. But he didn't save us because we were worthy. He said we were worthy. He determined that we were worth it. He gets to put the price tag on you. Nobody else. Not even yourself. He said you were worth the blood of his only begotten son. And that makes you valuable. That pulls you out of the pit. That is what makes you celebrate the sovereignty of God. Because he rages against injustice and he protects you from it. And that is the gospel. And that is what we have to look at. When you see the mercy and truth, the love and faithfulness, pay for your sin, it will give you the fear of the Lord. It will humble your heart. It doesn't mean being scared of God. It means having a holy reverence for God. You realize he didn't save you from sin so that you could sit around and play in it all day. So that you could sit around and play church and live however you want to. He saved you not just from the penalty of sin, but from sin itself. And there's a big difference there. And when you really get it, you don't want sin anymore. The thi this, is, this is really the gospel. And we sang this at this campus today. Here's the gospel. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And then the things of the world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. His atonement pays for your past sins. Your past sins get wiped, uh, wiped out when you turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And then you start to avoid evil whenever you understand that the things of the world are now strangely dim. Sin starts to lose its appeal on you in the light of his glory and grace when you start to look at the cross. Turn your eyes 
upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Here's my closing question to you, and I want you to ponder this. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart? What are your next steps in your faith journey? I want you to think about this, and then we're going to sing this song, and then I'll pray over you. Have you truly repented of your sin? Are you trying to just get out of the penalty? You're looking for a get out of hell free card? Or do you really want to avoid sin altogether? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I want you to ponder that. Have I accepted the payment of the wrath of God that Jesus gave me? And if you haven't, that's my plea for you today. Think about that. Ponder that as we sing this chorus. Come on, sing this together. Think about these words. It's my invitation to you today. Nothing fancy. I don't mind if you walk out of here and aren't impressed by any message I've preached. But listen to me, if this resonates with your heart at all, if you have forgotten the beauty of the cross or if you have never embraced it to begin with, I'm gonna invite you to turn your eyes and more importantly, turn over your entire life to the Lord of all, not the president of all that you get to vote in and out when you disagree with him, the Lord of your life, the King of your life. If you haven't done that today, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, you're tired of playing church, or maybe you've just never fully surrendered yourself over to him. If you need to make that decision today, I'm inviting you to slip your hand up right now all across this place. No one's looking but me. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. All across this place, can we just start to talk to God and thank him for what he's done. Lord, we come to you, God. We commit our life to you. Thank you for bearing the wrath of God. Thank you for protecting us from the wrath of God. You are perfectly good. You are perfectly just. And you're perfectly loving. God, you are everything that we could possibly need. So we surrender our lives over to you. Thank you for your sovereignty. You can use pure, impure motives. You can use improper answers. You could even use wickedness to bring about your plan. You are good, and we yield to you. We want your plan for our lives. We pray it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen, amen. And church, can we welcome into the family of God everyone that made that decision today? Don't go anywhere. I want to sing this song one more time, and then they'll close it out. Stay right here. Let's sing this together.